Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Regional Emergency Management could be Bob Raymaker's middle name. The former Victoria Police Inspector is an expert in dealing with emergencies and critical incidents. Bob was awarded an APM for his leadership in the Black Saturday bushfires. In his 48 years in the job, he's also been awarded the National Medal, the Victoria Police Service Medal, the National Police Service Medal and the National Emergency Medal. Hi Bob and welcome to the Crime Couch. Thank you very much Rochelle, good to be here today. Tell me, how would you describe emergency management to someone that doesn't know what it is? Okay, so emergency management from the perspective that I, I had in my role was making sure that all the agencies are working together, that we get to know each other. There's no point in handing out the business cards when the when the balloon goes up. You know, that's not the day that we introduce ourselves to each other and say, look, what are we here for? Emergency management is really about uh, getting all the agencies working together for a common purpose, and that is to help the community. And we immediately think of uh, other agencies as, you know, the, the fire services, the AMBOs, SES, but there's a lot more involved than that. There's local government, there's community services groups, and, uh, you know, department, or was the Department of Human Services, now it's uh, DFFH. I won't uh, go through all the, the acronyms, but it's making sure that we're all communicating with each other and that we have an understanding about each other's roles and responsibilities, particularly for police, it's about the coordination of the emergency. Uh, we've always got that remit, not only from a policing perspective that we've got to ensure security of the community and all these sorts of things, but we're coordinating the emergency. The fire services, obviously, there to, to, to go there and put the fire out and uh, it might be a hazardous material incident or something similar. The AMBOs are there to tend to the sick and ill and uh, sick and injured and so on. Um, and with local government, they're there to provide resources to the emergency services that are responding to that incident but also they're largely responsible for the recovery of the community. Again, when we talk about emergency management, recovery is a significant role uh, within that emergency. We have It's all bells and whistles to start off with, and uh, it's over and done with within either a few, a few hours or a few days. You know, you think back to the, the fires in Gippsland and up in uh, up around Wangaratta and so on in the year uh, 2019, 2020. Yeah, you know, that went on for weeks. But now recovery is still ongoing. So that's still emergency management. And a lot of people might not think of that. But local government is still, and other community services are still working with those communities to recover from that emergency. Fairly involved, very involved. Okay, so how do you plan for a natural emergency? Say, for example, like a bushfire. It's something that yeah is really, really close to me. Can I go back to... 1997, we had a significant fire in the January of 97. We lost three people, unfortunately. That was a really tragic fire that occurred in the Dandenongs. And uh, you might recall uh, three people perished in Fernie Creek, Seabreeze Avenue. Now, for all intents and purposes on that particular day, the response to that, to that emergency was really disjointed. And I say that from a police perspective, you know, with traffic management and uh, you know, dealing with the, uh, the, the community and that sort of thing at the time, it was really quite haphazard the way we approached. So as a result of that fire, um, we got a group together at Knox 
and developed a working group together and we consulted with the fire services, SES, AMBOs and a whole wide range of other agencies. So how can we do this better? And that was really the catalyst for some operating procedures that we've got in place even today in 2022. That was right back to 1998 when we got that group together. Now that entailed us having an understanding about the structures of all the other agencies. How do they do their business? How do we mesh in with how they do that, uh, do their business? And how can we support them in a, in a better way? And I'd like to think that in 2022, that we've got that uh, really, really, um, it's not to say that there's going to be shortcomings on a given day because an emergency will conjure up a whole wide range of things that you, you might not have thought about. Uh, just the, the nature of the beast, if you like. But it's important that we have an understanding about each other's roles and responsibilities. How do we mesh in with each other and who's in charge, who's to, there to support? And from a VicPol perspective, we need to ensure effective control. And you know, what does that look like? Um, that are the agencies that need to be there, are they there? And do they have enough resources to do their job properly? So it's a really, really intricate approach to emergencies. In a nutshell, I think it would be, do we have the right networks in place? Do we have the right relationships in place? So you mentioned before, you know, what does, what does emergency management look like? And emergency management is really based on strong relationships. So not only internally within your own agency, but how do we relate to people in, in, in other agencies? How do we... How do we communicate with each other? How, you know, how do we understand each other's strengths and weaknesses? And we're only, only going to know that by meeting regularly, um, you know, whether it just be a, a catch-up for a cup of coffee and just say, look, how's your approach to this coming summer? You know, is there things that we need to be preparing ourselves for? So I'd like to think, again, that in 2022, we've got some really, really good structures in place, great networks and relationships in place, so that now in June, we only had an, accident, uh, a, uh, an emergency management exercise in uh, about three weeks ago where we had all the agencies together. We had about 70 people together from all these different agencies. And we're working out how we're going to manage the, the concept of people self-evacuating from the Dandenongs. How are we going to work together to deal with that conundrum? Because we've, we, we've dealt with that in the past. There's been a number of emergencies, bushfires and so on in the hills that have occurred where people have self-evacuated and it's created all sorts of issues on the roads. So how are we going to manage that? How are we going to deal with that? So we did that in June. And uh, yeah, May, June. So in preparation for the coming summer and summers beyond, that's what it's all about. It's getting together in a timely way so that, hey, what are, we, what are we doing? What do we need to do? Do we need to get you know, better communications with each other? Do we need to put in better communications with the public? Do we need to communicate with the public you know, what we expect them to do? Because this is what we need to do. What can you do to help, yourself, help yourselves and also help us help you? When you first joined the job, Bob, what was Victoria Police's emergency management response like? One fiery that I spoke to said, you, you just used to rock up and put the wet stuff on the red stuff and plan for the worst and hope for the best. Correct. That's exactly right. Uh, I, re I recall Ash Wednesday, I was a uh, you know, young senior Connie back then, and the approach was that you just get into a car, into a police car and just go out there. And whether you're managing traffic at an intersection that you think, oh, I might need to direct traffic here, or you might go and door knock on houses and let everyone know that there's a fire in the area, but you're basically left to yourself. There's no real proper structure in place. And as a result of that, and I mean just the devastating effects on the community in Ash Wednesday, Mick Miller actually initiated this plan, disaster plan. He was the, the chief at the time as the chief coordinator, if you like, and he initiated uh, this plan, uh, enacted some legislation to back up the, all the idiosyncrasies of the DIS plan to make sure it's enshrined in legislation so that 
agencies had a legislative obligation to fulfil their roles under this plan. As time progressed, there was, a, there was a, still a number of gaps within this plan. So there's a lot of refinements and so on. And again, as a result of those fires that we had in 1997 and putting better, more robust, sustainable structures in place, it really placed us in a good position for Black Saturday. And then, you know, look, we can look back on Black Saturday and it, were there gaps, were there issues? Absolutely. Uh, were there shortcomings? Absolutely. But it's about learning all the way. But I, I still think that we had a lot better structures in place. We had a better understanding about emergency management in the Black Saturday scenario than we did, certainly did in Ash Wednesday. And now in the um, the other fires that we've had since, you know, again, I talk about Gippsland, I talk about you know, up, up north, the northeast fires, um, a lot better structures and a lot better understandings in place. For example, in, uh, in Black Saturday, uh, I recall back to the day that was unfolding and because of the structures that we had in place, we were able to implement those early in the day and it really did hold us in good stead, certainly in, in my area of responsibility. I was the sector commander in the Yarra Valley when that all unfolded and we immediately put in some structures earlier in the day because we knew that, I mean, that was a bad day. You knew that something was drastic was going to happen that day. You know, the lead up to the to that day, you know, during the week, you know, the Chief Commissioner, the Premier, they all came out and said, you know, the, to the public, this is going to be a really bad day. And it really was a bad day. But we put things in place that allowed us to minimise the deaths in the community, even though we did have a lot, unfortunately. We had, we had 13 in the Yarra Valley, uh, unfortunately. But we, we reduced or increased the safety for the members of the public, increased the safety for our own people, and it really did hold us in good stead. Again, you know, I look back, we set up a marshalling point at the Yarra Glen Racecourse. That was a fire refuge. And because we set that up early, there was some uh, 300 people actually used that refuge. And the fireys were there, we were there. And I'd like to think, looking back, that we really did save a lot of lives by doing that. How has technology made an impact on emergency management because nowadays there's lots of technology available. Has that made a difference? Look, it has. I certainly think the equipment that we've now got, you know, look at the fire services and the equipment that they've got, albeit you'll always want better equipment. But I certainly think that with the aircraft that's available now to the fire services, you know, they're now talking about night bombing and so on, which is a great thing. But they've also got a predetermined dispatch. So any fires that we have in a high fire danger area, they'll immediately dispatch a, uh, an aircraft to that and they'll often be there ahead of the local fireys that will get there. So they're trying to knock it on the head as soon as they possibly can. And again, the interaction, I guess, from a communication wise, um, it's a lot better than what we've had, albeit you know, you're always trying to improve. It'd be great to see a day when you know, the fire brigade captain or the incident controller was talking directly to the, the police commander or the uh, SES commander and so on in real time, rather than through emergency management liaison officers and the like. Having said that too, of course, we've got uh, some great structures in place where we'll actually send people to the incident control centre. All agencies are uh, highly represented at the incident control centres now. We didn't have that in the past. It was really quite parochial, if you like, or territorial in the past, whereas now there's a lot of lot of partnerships that have been developed, and uh, which is a great thing. I recall going to the regional control centres during some of those peak fires that we've had, and everyone was represented there. The incident control centres, uh, yeah, the incident controller was really, really happy with all the people that were there that were helping each other develop a plan instead of just a plan in isolation. You were given a, an award and an APM for your leadership in Black Saturday, the fires. What do you think 
sticks in your mind. What are the memories of those fires for you, Bob? Probably the immediate recollection is uh, the bravery of our people. And I'm talking about uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Vic Pol members here uh, per se at the moment, but you know you look across all agencies, the bravery of, of all those that, that tried to deal with that incident. We nearly lost a crew of a sergeant, a senior Connie, that worked out of Warburton. They, against my better wishes, because I uh, I wanted everyone to assemble in a certain area uh, in Yarra Glen because I knew the fire was coming through and there was going to be a wind change. So I asked all units to be in a certain location and I uh, was accounting for them. And I recall you know, one unit, they took it upon themselves to go into this area in Chum Creek um, because they wanted to make sure that this, the local people in, in that area were safe. You know, and, and, uh, but they had to seek refuge in one of the houses there because the fire was right upon them. So they get out of their police car and go into the, into the house to actually seek refuge and get out of the fire, uh, fire front. That really sticks in my mind, A, because their bravery because they went back in there to make sure the community was safe. Secondly, because I was their boss, if you like, on the day, I certainly didn't want to lose them, you know. So that was really quite traumatic. But overall, I just you know, just recall you know, with, with great admiration the bravery of our people, the bravery of all the responders on that day, also the sheer magnitude this had on the local community there, at, uh, certainly in Hillsville, Chum Creek, Yarra Glen around there, let alone across the state. You know, that was a really significant event that occurred. Why did you move into training at the police academy? Because you, you've had an extensive experience working in emergency management. What motivated you to, to turn and, and shift gears in your career? Yeah, I had an opportunity back in the, uh, the late 80s to do the instructor's course. And uh, I thought, oh, I like this. This is a, this is a pretty good gig. And it was it was also, you know, you, you do your operational stuff and, you know, that was really, really enjoyable. I thought this might be just another string to the bow. But then I got invited to become an instructor at the, what was called then was the sub-officers course, course which is the, the old sergeant's course. And anyway, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a crack. But what I really, really enjoyed was being able to impart some wisdom and knowledge that I had gained, but also importantly, I was actually gaining a lot from the people that came on the course. And what a great way to learn something to teach it, but then also the, you know, the audience were actually teaching me about the role, and that was just fantastic. And then I had an opportunity later you know, in my career after uh, getting promoted to inspector. I managed the uh, Centre for Incident Emergency Management, which is the uh, emergency management and incident management component of the promotional programs. So we're not only teaching newly promoted sergeants, but all through, through to inspectors. That was enormously fulfilling, absolutely enormously fulfilling because of all the things that I'd learnt myself through those ranks, I was able to impart on others some of my failings, if you like, some of my positives, uh, and yeah, some of my insights, I suppose. But yeah, that was just immensely enjoyable. And I guess yeah, just knowing that you've imparted something for them and to them, and they go away with uh, with some of that knowledge and some of the feedback I've, I've got you know, in the latter years has just been fantastic. You know, where they say, oh, look, I remember what you said. There was one, one time we developed a package with the state coroner. I remember uh, interviewing the state coroner on video, and we used that as a training video for the, the courses. And a lot of the, the state coroners, Ian Gray was his name, uh, a lot of his insights were fantastic and really actually imparting that to our newly promoted sergeants and senior sergeants about how they would approach critical incidents. And it was just fantastic. I found that enormously fulfilling.
In your 48 years, Bob, what would you regard as your career highlight? Well, I guess, you know, naturally enough, receiving the APM, that was that was just really humbling. Having my family there um, and to see their, 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 you know, their husband and their father uh, receiving such a prestigious award, you know, it's not, not too many get the award in, at any given time. That was certainly a, a highlight, but that was a culmination of a whole wide range of things that we've, we've already spoken about, you know, Black Saturday and, and other things and the work I did to try and um, get those structures in place and so on. But I guess um, probably one of the real highlights for me was working as a staff officer for Deputy Commissioner Kieran Walsh, doing that for two years. Wow, what an eye-opener that was about learning about the organisation. You know, you see the organisation in a certain way as a a Connie and senior Connie and sergeant, you know, you see it in a certain way and certainly you know, your peers see it in a certain way. But then being able to sit in the chair there with uh, with Kieran Walsh at that level and looking at the organisation in a totally different light, you know, all the government influence, the influence of the media, if you like, and, you know, what can we do to make it better for the van crew? That was just sensational. It was a great two years. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Is there anything that you regret, Bob? Probably, yeah, I... Looked back on this, especially now that I'm transitioning into retirement, and I had this conversation with uh, with a couple of people at uh, at Knox before I uh, went on long service leave, and we actually did a little video, if you like, uh, as a communication piece to the uh, to the people in the divisions. And probably looking back, I did exploit my comfort zones, if you like, by staying at locations for probably a little bit longer than I probably should have. So I should have probably moved around a little bit more and maybe diversify a little bit more. But then looking back, you know, I was operational in the uniform. I had a lot of stints at training, which I thoroughly enjoyed. You know, and then when I got promoted, you know, doing the staff officer's job. So there's a there's a bit of variety there. But probably looking back, I think, yeah, probably a little bit more diversity and, and maybe moving around just that little bit more. What advice would you give to anyone listening to this interview wanting to join the job or that's currently in the job? Yeah, that's a, a great question. It is a fantastic job. Like any job. There's, there's going to be drawbacks, there's going to be highlights. But I look back on my 48 years very, very fondly from the point of view that the people I've met, both inside the job and outside the job, you, you can't underestimate the, the importance of relationships within the organisation, the quality of people that you meet that have been there for a really good purpose, you know, to make the community safe. And I know that probably sounds warm and fuzzy, but that's true. And that's why, you know, people join the organisation like Victoria Police. I've been blessed in the emergency management space because I've met some wonderful, wonderful people outside the job that I've got really strong friendships today. And I really hold them in high regard because, you know, a lot of people have put themselves out for the community. Again, just looking back to the storms we had in just in 2021, which was significant. They impacted on the Dandenongs and so on. But I remember going to the Incident Control Centre at Dandenong and there was a lot of people that I just went around the, you know, the shop floor there, if you like, and just asked each other how they went. And a lot of people were impacted themselves, but they were still there to do the job for the community. You know, that's just gold. And I've, I've really, I'm really grateful to actually rub shoulders with people like that. What does the future hold for you now, Bob? You're at the end of your, your time in the job. What's next? Yeah, well, we're uh, we've got three grandkids who we absolutely adore, and so that's going to be a lot. Of, we've already spent a lot of time babysitting and so on, and that's uh, that's certainly a big part of our our life into the future. But I'm doing a an advanced diploma in in photography, which started off as a hobby and uh, still a really really um, enjoyable pastime. 
So I'm enjoying that. I'm really loving that. Yeah, there's a whole lot of assignments and so on with that. So that's taking up a lot of my time. Bike riding, doing a lot of bike riding, both mountain bike riding and road road cycling. And got a really good bunch of people that we uh, we go away with uh, fairly regularly. We're going to the um, the tour down under next year at Adelaide. We do that every year. Of course, you know, the last couple of years we haven't been able to because of the pandemic. But So there's a lot of that into the future. It's interesting, but it just just living, doing a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have been able to do because I was working. And actually, it was interesting because I went to a uh, retirement luncheon a little while ago when I spoke to a, um, a colleague who had retired and she was into volunteering. I asked her how she's going. She said, oh, look, I've ditched the volunteering. I'm, now I'm just living. <laughs> I'm just living my life. She said, if I'm, uh, if I'm in my dressing gown at two o'clock in the afternoon, it doesn't really matter. You know? And I think that's a, probably a good attitude to have as well, just to, just, yeah, just to absorb, you know, catch up on reading and that sort of stuff. Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for sitting with me on the Crime Couch today. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I really do appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on the Crime Couch. Mm-hmm.